Day Friday. Welcome to the Reluctant Agilist. Kareem Harvard is here. Kareem, thank you for taking time out of your day. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Dave. And it's not Friday. It's not. It's definitely Thursday <laughs> afternoon, but tomorrow is going to be Friday, so look forward to that. It's been that kind of a week. So this is the second beginning of this podcast because I totally screwed up the first one because I forgot what day it was. Um, and so, Kareem, you, you're sort of almost royalty in the Agile space, at least for a period of time. Almost, I like that. I'm just kind of, what is that? No, nobility, I guess, right? Uh, yes. what is, that's kind of you to say, Dave. I've, I've been around a little while and, uh, um, and um, it's, it's, a, it's a great community and I enjoy being part of it. So uh, it's kind words indeed. Well, I meant it because of your position at the Scrum Alliance. I am indeed. Not that you're a, not awesome in your own right, but. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been, that's been a great journey. I joined the, uh, the board of directors of the, the Scrum Alliance this year, and it's been, uh, well, considering everything that's going on, it's, it's been absolutely incredible seeing uh, close up uh, how they've responded and the transformation they've been on really has, has allowed them to, to, to be so agile in, in the face of this uh, disruption. It's, it's really great to see um, really, really great leadership there. And I'm, in, I'm really enjoying being part of that board. So it's a great adventure for me. So do you, I mean, you're, you're there at a really fascinating time because obviously everything that's going on with Corona and, and other stuff that's happening. Um, I felt like for the period of time that I volunteered for PMI, I served on the board of a, of a large component of it um, and all kinds of, crazy business things happen and it was such an insane learning experience um can you comment on like the stuff that you're learning that that you would be getting out of the experience of volunteering that, that you might not be able to get somewhere else absolutely um so there's there is all of that that stuff happening but but the the real um, is is the strategy piece and and being really really deeply involved with that i mean Howard and Melissa are doing a great job of being, but just seeing and being involved with them and overseeing that strategy and how they're driving towards it has been something that I've done on a smaller scale in my organization and that I've been around in big organizations. But to actually be sort of on the board while that's happening is, uh, is really, really illuminating. And it's been a, a steep but but fun learning curve. Um, I mean, to be honest, the uh, the, the, the governance and the uh, the finance pieces of less interest, but 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 equal importance. Uh, and I'm learning on that piece too. So um, yeah, all around, um, adding a, a number of tools to the toolbox, and it's been great. Cool, awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like that people, anybody who's not volunteering, I think, for their professional organization, is doing themselves a disservice. Uh, yeah, um, indeed, indeed. G the giving giving back is so important, and I've been part of this community, and I've got so much out of it. And I feel like uh, it's, you've you've got to do what you can. Uh, and this this community is is built on volunteers, right? So uh, we've all got to we've all got to do our bit. So enjoy yeah. it. Cool. And let's talk about Agile Center before we get into our main topic. So, can you talk a little bit about the work that you do? Well, I can indeed. We are we are a, a group of uh, of coaches. And educators um, based out of the UK. I'm in uh, I'm in London, uh, but we're all around the UK. But we, we work uh, all around all around Europe, really, and beyond. Do a lot of stuff in the Middle East. We are we are agilists, right? But we we're not uh, kind of uh, uh, pile them high, sell them cheap, if you like. Uh, we we kind of there are we're small, but we we try to. Um, really uh, focus on impact uh, and helping our clients to to really achieve agility as opposed to um, going through the motions. And, and then we're going to be talking a bit about that with, with how we do it, in particular the, the canvas. Um, but um, 
Now, we focus a lot on, on leadership and cultural change and business agility and capability building in organizations to really help them be self-sufficient rather than reliant on, 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 on organizations like us, right? We, we don't want to be there. So we, we, do, we really enjoy that. Um, I've been uh, doing that for five years or so coming up, which, wow, that's gone fast. Um, but, but it's great fun. <laughs> I feel very privileged to, A, love what I do in terms of the agile space, but B, be able to grow my own organization, which is equally fun but very different uh, and i'm going to do both of those things and i'm very fortunate cool and and can you comment on like from a coaching or working with clients perspective what the change has been like for you since covid and and everything that that's done to the business world yeah uh so a lot of a lot of the coaching uh, has has been um well, it's been wound down for a while and the, and the, the private training people of, obviously in these times of uncertainty are, uh, they initially, they, they sort of slashed the budget as you can expect, but they're starting to loosen the purse strings. So we're starting to do more in-house stuff. Uh, I've been sort of pivoting to public stuff, which interestingly, the, the sales have been very good on. I think people have been at home and uh, taking virtual classes. It seems like a good time to do it. So we, we had a, we had a quietish period but now I think people are getting used to what's going on. They're saying, well, actually, we do still need to evolve even more quickly than before, given everything that's happening. And we do still need help with that. And we can't uh, not invest in this. So they're coming back and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're doing more of that coaching and training in-house with our clients again. So uh, that's great to see. Um, and it's great to be able to support them through what is a very difficult time for everyone. And this is this is what we do as Agilists. We help people respond to unpredictability and uncertainty. So uh, if ever there was a time to be an Agilist, it's, it's now, I think. Yeah, I think I've, I, with the initial response, I felt like people thought it was only going to last a couple of weeks and then they kind of realized, oh, this is, <laughs> this is not like a two-week blip. Um, yeah. And also it presents a whole different kind of communication set of challenges with you know, the jobs that you're going to play on a team and how we stay in touch with people. Yeah, and, and how we do what we do, right? I mean, I, yeah. I've spent um, six, seven years putting my heart and soul in, and blood, sweat, and tears into building experiences and, and education experiences and coaching experiences which are in the room, right? And there are people hunched over a table moving things around and stood around a wall, and, and now I can't do any of that, and no one really can. And so it's how do we translate that onto Zoom and Mural and whatever tools you're using. And um, we're having to adapt how we do what we do as well. So we've got to, uh, we've got to practice what we preach. Um, and that's yeah. been a, a real challenge. I think to me, that's one of the coolest things about, I mean, I feel like the switch is forcing me to sharpen up my game because it's putting me in such an uncomfortable position. But being able to like call out in the class, like, look, we're going through the same problems you guys are going. We're inspecting and adapting as we go too. So this is us living what we're trying to teach you how to do. I think that it provides a great example for the folks who take the classes. It does. It does for, for, for organizations like the Scrum Alliance, for organizations like us supporting, and for you know, the bigger organizations trying to survive through this as well. We've all got the same challenges, really. Um, but we can, uh, you know, we, can, we can all support each other. Yeah. Okay. So... The reason we're doing the interview is to talk about the Business Agility Canvas, which is a tool that you've created for organizations to figure out. Well, how, how do you describe when, you, when you're showing to them? How do you describe what it's for? Well, I have been involved in many big transformations, many of which have been, well, most of which, I'll be honest, have been unsuccessful 
uh, at really delivering real change and real agility. I work with a lot of big banks, big telcos, big traditional organizations, 100,000 people and up. And the years, what I've seen is that the change isn't happening. And um, the reason for that is that uh, people aren't, well, there are a number of reasons, right? But they, they're no coherent approach and no understanding as to the, the range of things that need to be included in the change. It isn't just, there you go, here's your scrum class. Yeah. You know, I, I know lots of people teaching great scrum classes, you included, Dave. Right? But as you well know, uh, doing that, sending a team on a scrum class is not going to transform an organization, but very few know what is. So essence is a, is a thinking and communication tool to help people to uh, discuss and visualize all of the breadth of the change, why they're doing it, what success looks like, and all of the key areas they'll need to address in order to do that and to make a bit of a plan. So it's kind of a strategic communication and planning tool around agile transformations. Okay. So you said that the change isn't happening. One of the things I'm wondering about, and I, and I know that, that in some ways the, the campus is going to address this, but when, you work, when you've worked on these transformations, the, one that, the ones that didn't you know, happen the way that you would have liked, were they clear on why they were transforming in the first place? Because that's something I see a lot is they think they just want agile, like it's an end state that they're going to get to and then magical, wondrous things are going to occur. <laughs> um, so no is the short answer. And this has been a, a frustration of mine for many years. Um, and it's not even that they, they want agile because most of them don't even really understand what agility is, right? Let's uh, agile aside, what it means to be an agile organization. I think there's, there's not a real understanding of what that is and of why that's so important. There might be a bit more now, right? But uh, so people don't understand why it's valuable. They don't understand why they're embarking on the transformation and they don't map out exactly what success looks like. So what, what is it, what will be different? When we're an agile organization, what will we be able to do that we can't do now? Uh, and very rarely do you see that in organizations. And that's kind of one of the areas that we, that we address on the canvas is, is actually, okay, let's, let's step back. Let's look at the vision. Let's look at the why. And let's look at the measures of success that we're going to have. Because if we're not aligned on that, like, no one's going to be going in the, in the right direction. Uh, well, they'll all be going in different directions, right? So um, that is definitely a step zero before anything happens, or it should be, and almost never does it actually happen. Okay, thank you. So, so this, the tool is going to help them gain clarity on what they're pursuing and why. It's going to do, it's going to do a couple of things. It is, um, it is what and why, and it is how. Okay. All right. um, and so there, you know, various various aspects of the canvas, but the, but the, the top row of it is going to be very much your your vision, your values, and uh, and your success criteria. You know, and, I, and I, this is this kind of thing's been around for for years. I didn't invent the concept of vision and values. I use a tool called V two M O M, which was introduced to me, um, and that was uh, created at Salesforce. Um, I, and that starts with vision and values, right? Um, so, and, and it really get key alignment around those things before you start looking at the, the methods, obstacles, and measures, which is the rest of the MOM, uh, right, so the V2 MOM. And if we're in a, getting crystal clear uh, on what that is and alignment around that before you start looking at the, the methods that you use to achieve it, right, it's, that's the right way around. And, and as Simon Sinek said, starting with why, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, and, and we better be starting there. Um, and so okay. that's, that's the, kind of the first part of the canvas. 
All right. So I have all my questions that I want to ask you in a certain order. And I know that there's a lot of boxes on your canvas and you recommend that people go through them, but then they're going to be jumping around as they change one, it might change the others. And that's happening with my questions right now. Um, So they're going to try to get an understanding of their values and why they want to, to pursue this change. First of all, is this something that you would recommend an organization? You know, they go to your site, they can download the guidebook and, and a copy of the canvas. Are they just going to sit in a room with a bunch of executives and talk through it on their own, or do they need somebody to help them go through this? Um, so they, they, they should go to the website and download it um, because it is free. Um, the canvas is free, and the 20-page the guidebook to uh, give a steer on how to use it is free. So here's, ideally, you have an experienced uh, practitioner of, of transformations guiding you through this. I think that's always gonna be the most uh, effective uh, option. But, but what I've tried to do is to create it in a way such that if you do find yourself in a position where you don't have access to that experience, you could still use the tool. And, and, and that's what the guidebook's for really. It kind of walks you through how to use it, the kinds of things that need to go in, in each of those boxes. Um, like I say, it, the, the, the key is, is I, are you going to be aware of some of the key patterns in order to achieve business agility or not? And I think largely, uh, you know, some help on that would be, would be really useful in guiding you through that uh, and to not make the same mistakes that everyone else has made many times over um, or, or only some of them. Right. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's absolutely possible to, to do it without that support. Um, and and I've, I've seen people try and do it and, and they've, they've reached out to me and said it's been really valuable for them. Okay. So I, I want to echo the thing about having somebody there because I think even I, the guidebook is great. And if, if you download the tool, definitely take a look through the guidebook. It provides a lot of great instruction on how it would work. But to me, having some third party that's there who can be really objective about things, um, yeah. I think is valuable. Because like where I can see where leadership in an organization might push it one way. I can also see where they might say, well, we do need a third party. Go get you know Johnny the Agile guy from the Agile department from our company. And he'll come in but that person's still biased based on what's going on in the organization and they're going to look at everything through that lens. Having, having somebody who doesn't have as much of a stake in that, I think could be a very valuable resource. Really valuable to, for a number of reasons. One is um, somebody who's had experience in many, many different organizations doing it, who, who can um, point out where the, uh, where the banana skins are, if you like them. Um, so that's valuable. Two, um, there is an element of you're never a prophet in your own land. And, and quite often I go to organizations and, and I say things that have been said by people in the organization already, but they haven't been listened to. But because I'm uh, external, then maybe I, I do get listened to um, uh, a little bit more. And three, there's an element of, um, or, or a slight lack of safety sometimes to really confront the, the real issues when you're internal, when, when that's your job. Right. When I'm an external, you know, if they, you know, I can, I can rock the boat maybe just a touch more because I don't have to, um, you know, my body calls it mortgage-driven development, right? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not tied to staying there, um, um, but, uh, but, but lots of people are, and, and, and that stops them from maybe speaking as freely as maybe they could, which uh, is, is sometimes, um, sometimes unhelpful. So that's awesome that you said that because that's kind of going back to where I was talking about circling around. When you talk about values, one of the things that I wanted to ask about was a situation I've seen in a lot of companies where if you get leadership in the room and you say, okay, what are the values? 
and some person at the top of the food chain describes the values that they would put into the TV commercial about the company or the values that they would like the company to have, but that have no connection to what's actually happening in the organization. Yes, and that happens a lot. I, I mean, off the top of my head, I think communication and excellence were the values of Enron. Um, and I think that maybe they fell short on some of those uh, <laughs> I'm being kind, right? So there is, there is, and there's what people say they value, but you know what, you can, you can judge what an organization values by the policies and the behaviors that you observe and they're either aligned or they're misaligned. And I think most people know when values are what's written on the wall as you walk in and then that's it. And then what's baked into the fabric of the organization, right? It's really, really important point. Yeah. Okay. Well, so could you walk through how somebody would use this or how you would use it with an organization if you came in the door with it? Sure. So um, we'd, uh, you know, ho- hopefully before, before embarking on this, there, there's been some level of, of leadership and executive education as to um, what agility is, what the case is. Um, and there's been some indication of the the scale of the challenge to transform a big organization. You don't have to do that bit first, but I find that really valuable. If you come to these conversations cold, you know, people say, what do you mean um, we would be? Sometimes it's a bit of a shock. So taking them through that journey is helpful before you start, right? But but when you do start, and it is very, very iterative, right? I'm going to say this as if it's a, a linear process. It's not, right? But there are largely three initial steps, right? Um, and we start with um, what and why, uh, which I think we touched on earlier, right? That's the vision values and the success criteria. What is it we're trying to do? Why is this important to us? What values do we hold dear and, and what, what, what are going to guide us throughout this process? And what are we going to measure to allow us to know whether we're moving towards our goals or not, right? Because you're going to have to run some experiments and you want to know whether those experiments are moving you in the right direction. If you're not measuring that, that's going to be pretty difficult. So getting those right success criteria are, um, is really important um, on that one. Okay, so that's going to be the, the first step, right? And you can go through that. Um, can I can I pause you on that one for one second? Absolutely. So this is another, and this might go back to the why you should have somebody in there helping you. But when you go into an organization that is more traditional, and if they start working with this, and they talk about what they're going to measure to know whether or not they've gotten the desired outcome, how do they even begin to understand what to measure? Because they only know how to measure the waterfall things. Absolutely, which is which is why I go back to the the uh, education beforehand, right? Because okay. if you just if you just say to people, you know, actually, um, different things are important, right? D- different different things are gonna are gonna matter to you now because you've been treating your organization as as a factory, uh, and what we're saying is actually now it's a design shop. Um, you're, uh, the factory stuff's still going to happen, right? The the exploit your current products and services and business models, that's still going to happen. And, and maybe you keep the same metrics there. But what we're doing is creative. It's innovative. Uh, and we need to be adaptive. And so different approaches, different structures, different cultures, and different metrics are going to apply. Okay. And so you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're measuring uh, across the board, um, they're going to be really, really well suited to one side and badly for the other. Um, okay. So yeah, it's really important. It's, it's, it's absolutely vital um, to, to get those right. Cool. Sorry for interrupting. No worries. Interrupt away. <laughs> well, go Where? ahead. You can continue. Thank you. So we, 
we we've started with the what and the why, right? So we we hopefully at this point um, have alignment and a clear understanding, a shared understanding of what we're trying to do, why it's important, and what we value. How we're going to know that? Now we're going to look at right. So in order to do that, what do we need to do? What's the what are the changes we need to make? Very high level, right? Um, um, and this is where we come to the the next part of the canvas. So that first row covers those three things. The the middle section has got six boxes in it. Okay. And, and at this point, I should probably introduce you to the six enablers of business agility, um, uh, which is a, a model I created um, some years back for almost the same reasons. I was seeing so many shallow adoptions where people dabbled with, well, if we just put JIRA in place, everything's going to be fine, right? Um, so probably not. Uh, nothing against JIRA. I'm sure it's a very good tool, but there's also a bunch of other stuff you might want to address. And so yeah. I started thinking, actually, I was, I was working at a, a big, big bank in the UK um, so a good five or six years ago, and I started thinking, well, if I had to communicate all of the key areas that we have to address to make sure that we do achieve change, what would they be? And I'll be honest, I've, I've, I recently found some old versions of this, which were terrible, right? This, this evolved over probably six or seven years, and it's had many, many incarnations. I, I dug it up on Evernote. I was like, ooh, that's not good. Where I've ended up is, is something that's useful to people. And so I created the six enablers such that we didn't miss stuff out. All right? and, and very quickly, I'll list them off. Uh, they are leadership and management. Right? If, if, if the leaders don't change how they show up, and go on a journey and for a whole different, I'm not going to talk too much about leadership and management styles, but we all know the kinds of um, uh, enabling leadership styles and decentralizing authority and uh, all of these great things that we see in self-organization. If we don't go on that journey, it's going to be very difficult, right? Um, there's a culture piece. You know, culture comes up as the biggest impediment to agility in every single state of the uh, agile, uh, state of agile survey that happens every year. It's always culture is at odds, right? There is a mismatch between the culture of organizations and the agile values and principles. How do we address that? Do we even want to address that? Right? How do we diagnose and start to shift culture? We better be paying attention to that. Okay. That's the second one. Right? And the third one is organizational structure. Right? Are, we, are we in silos that are unable to communicate or are we in cross-functional teams that are able to collaborate? Are we in a hierarchical pyramid or are we in a, a loose interconnected network? Okay, so there's a bunch of stuff around how the organization is structured that needs to be addressed as well. Okay, and the, the, the next one's people and engagement. How do we treat our people? Are people engaged? Right? Um, how, what are our HR policies? Are they uh, annual performance reviews and stack ranking or are they policies that encourage collaboration and communication and cooperation? Right? Are we encouraging growth and autonomy and mastery and purpose? All of those things I, I, I group together. But they need how do you measure that? Because like, how do you measure whether they're engaged or whether they have you know, autonomy, mastery, and purpose? Autonomy, you, mastery, you and do purpose. your best. Right? Um, and okay. and like, some, of the, some things are really easy to, to measure um, and some things are very difficult to measure. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's often a case of we make meaningful what we can measure because we can't measure what's meaningful. Uh, I'd love to tell you who's, who I stole that quotation from, but I, I don't recall. It wasn't me. It's I, all yours, I, man. It's, just, uh, just I'll own take, that. I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. I, um, but, but, you know, that's why we end up measuring things like velocity because uh, it's easy to measure, right? But actually what, what matters, these are the difficult things. It's, it's participation, it's engagement. And then there are many tools out there that can help you to measure this and put numbers against it. Ultimately, the number doesn't matter. The trend matters, right? If, if people are 
moving in the right direction, that's great. And if people are learning and investing, right? So um, all of that stuff, there's a, there's a massive piece there around HR policies and, and, and how you move away from those traditional approaches to more agile approaches and, and whole books have been written on that. Right? Um, but we need to be addressing it because often it's ignored. The final one, uh, it's not the final one, there are two more, right? But the final one that I tend to uh, work with organizations on is governance and funding, right? Um, <laughs> you, if you have a waterfall business case scope and time signed off upfront approach to governance, as in you won't get funded unless you do that, right? Then you're not going to be able to operate any way other than waterfall. And I, I, I'm not an anti-waterfall person because I think there are many situations where it's appropriate, but there are many where it's not. And when you have high uncertainty and complexity and volatility and all of that stuff, right, you can't lock yourself in based, based on some analysis you did up front. Right? But if your governance policies and your PMO and all of these other areas are optimized for a different kind of work, you don't stand a chance. So somebody needs to be helping to create um, a kind of a dual model of, okay, for the more traditional stuff, we, we keep doing what we're doing because maybe that works well. But for the less traditional stuff, we better understand the kind of VC-based funding based on data and lean startup approach uh, and how quickly and cheaply we can validate ideas. Otherwise, we're going to struggle. Right? So that is, I think, the hardest thing to change and, and I think the, the rarest one that I see change. Very few actually address that. Yeah, I want to talk about this one for a second because you just described like every bank in existence. And yes. with what you just said, somebody might just say, well, we can't throw up their hands and say, we can't do it. You know, it's not possible. But there's where they are now and then there's where they want to be to be able to get the value of this, this change in approach. Yeah. And that I, I path people, from one side to the other is, is going to be complicated and painful at sometimes. It's going to be difficult, but you, you don't have to do it for 140,000 people at the same time, right? You can take, and, and what I've learned is if you, if you call things an experiment, you, you have more leeway. And... And so take a product, take a product with two to five teams on it and change the way the governance works there. Right? The, 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 the nervousness is about, are we going to lose control? Right? But, but we're not saying go and spend 10 million pounds without a business case. We're saying, instead of that, we're saying, right, go spend a thousand pounds and then come back to me with some data and maybe I'll give you 2000 then, right? Or maybe I won't. In fact, go and spend a thousand pounds times 10 on 10 different experiments and we'll invest in the one that has the most promise based on customer data, not based on a business case. Suddenly now people are like, oh wait, uh, I'm a bit more open to this in this one product. And then if it works well there, you scale it out. You know, um, There are organizations that have done this. There are banks that have done this, you know, and then, you know, shout out to the, to the folks at Barclays back five, six years ago when I was there, they were really driving this change through um, from what they called the traditional software development lifecycle to what ended up being known as lean control. Um, and this is in a highly regulated 330-year-old London-based bank in Canary Wharf. Um, and they managed to do this. And there's, uh, there are some great folks that were involved in that. Um, and it, it can be done. Okay, so uh, it is as vital as it is difficult. Um, and I do get that, you know, the finance departments don't get this just as much as we do, but without in bringing them along for the ride, finance and HR, you don't stand a chance. Yeah. Okay. So that was the fifth enabler. We've got one more, but I'm not going to talk long about it because that's what I call ways of working. That is the processes, the practices, the frameworks. That is where Scrum and XP engineering practices, or maybe if you're not doing software, something else. But these are the kind of team-based practices. So they are extremely important. But from uh, creating the environment 
for agility, there's way less to do there for leadership as there are is to do for the other five enablers. So I, I mean, if you've gone through that and you've identified the, ch- the high level changes you need to make, it's unlikely you've missed anything. Right? And it's unlikely you get these cargo cult shallow adoptions that, that some organizations do and they keep the same HR policies and governance and all of that stuff. Right? So that was my, was my aim with that, with that model really is to help organizations really understand the breadth of the change they need to go through. It's not easy. Right? Okay. But it, 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 nothing of, of any value is easy. Right? So um, um, that's the middle section of the canvas. And really what I'm asking a few um, what, where do you want to go here? All right, what high level, what, what's the next steps for you at a high level before you go into the, the more detailed planning? So we're all aligned on what we're attacking, what we're tackling, uh, and what we're going to not tackle right now, and that's okay. And so how is this going to help an organization? It, it will help them because there's a, there's a tendency to ignore the difficult change, and this kind of forces the conversation. You either address those areas all of them or you you're just not going to get you know if you go back to that top that top row you're not going to get the outcomes you want um, um uh, and the vision you want and hit those success criteria unless you change stuff in each of those boxes and um, um, and I, for lots of organizations is it's an unwillingness but for lots it, they're just not aware of the scale of the change they don't realize they've got to change that stuff so the, the real value here is, okay, well, at least now we're aware and we can make a conscious choice if we actually want to do this or not, right? Because, okay. you know, when, and I, I might think I want to run a marathon, but when someone shows me the training regime leading up to it, I might change my mind, right? Yeah. And I, in fact, I can tell you I would change my mind. Right? But, but if I don't know that, I might say, sure, I'll do that. And then I rock up on the start line and break myself. So um, it's, it's a really great tool just to, just to give people a, a, oh, we've got to tackle all that. That's the scale of the problem I found. And then they can make a more informed business choice about whether or not this desired end state is worth the squeeze or whether or not running the marathon is worth the pain you're going to go through to get there. Absolutely. And, and often when you, I find this during the culture assessment, I often do culture assessments based on the competing values framework. And what I find is if an organization is deep in the, the, the control and compete culture, right, which is you know, kind of the antithesis to, to agility, but, but very appropriate for some types of organizations, if they're happy there and they don't want to move, my question to them is, well, you seem to value the things that you already have more than you value agility. To get agility, you'll have to give up some of the stuff you have now. Are you prepared to do that? And when they say no, I say, fabulous, you've just saved yourself a whole ton of money and time and effort. Why don't you do something like Six Sigma or something else that's designed for where you are, right? Um, and, and so that's a really useful tool. Or, yeah, actually we do, but we want to take baby steps. And then we can talk about maybe not being quite so radical and we do some stuff that will help them achieve their outcomes. So uh, I, I find, yeah, that, that, is a, that is the value of it for me, even maybe just avoiding some transformations. But the ones that do go ahead, people are really bought into it. Um, they, they go in with their eyes open. So you think that they should figure out all that stuff up front? Like, what, are we, what do we want to get? What are we willing to give up to get it? And yeah. then let that drive their choices about how they approach pursuing business agility. I think so. But remember, you don't have to do this for the whole organization. You can do it for small parts of it, for small products, 
right? Okay. Um, then you can scale it out if you think it's adding value. But it's never, I mean, it's very rare that a whole organization is going to be operating like this. And I, I've, we, we talk about, um, well, there is a lot of talk about ambidextrous organizations. That's those who can exploit their current product services and business models with efficiency whilst also exploring new ones with agility. Totally yeah. different modes of operating and you're going to need different approaches in each. So you don't have to do the whole, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing or you can do a small part of it or a bigger part of it. Okay. So they can kind of put a little bit into this at a time, leave the rest alone. And as it makes more business sense, adopt these practices in other parts of the organization. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. What I would say is um, it, it makes sense to, to go all in for a small product. So what, what you don't want to do is uh, we'll, we'll change the ways of working, but we won't change governance because you won't change anything. Right? You've got to change all of these six, but you don't have to change it from everything. You can change it for one small product and all the other products might still use exactly the same way that they're working now. Okay, so in a way, it's, it's a thin slice through the organization to, uh, to, to get that value stream flowing um, for that one specific product. And it might be just one or two teams. If you're really conservative, just do it for one or two teams and see, it, see what happens. Right? Um, and then you know, don't, don't go straight to this big bang, we're going to do 500 teams overnight, right? Because A, you won't have the bandwidth to support that or build the capability, and B, guarantee that's going to go badly. Yeah. So I think that's important too, is because for people to realize that there's going to be, if you're going to run that kind of limited test, there's additional overhead associated with that, but that's the cost of being able to maintain the rest of the organization while you test the new thing out. Yes, it is. Um, and remember some of those parts of the organizations are going to keep running as they run anyway, because that's the most appropriate way for them to run based on the work that they're doing. So you'll always have many, many uh, operating models that are each appropriate to their context. And that's a, that's a mistake lots in our industry make is, ah, well, everything needs to be agile, right? Yeah. And we, you know, we'll, we'll, get the, we'll get the people in the call centers answering the phones in an agile way. It's like, well, uh, some things just kind of work as they are. Right? Uh, and, and so recognizing that, acknowledging that, and, and saying you're doing lots of great stuff, you should probably keep doing that. Um, but also here's how you could do some of this other stuff a bit differently, I think is, um, is key. Cool. Well, in a moment, I want to talk about where they can learn more about this and things like that. But um, do you feel that there is a way to, for an organization to get an, a sense of how much change they can tolerate at any given time, like some sort of a whip for change with the culture and practices and everything like that? I think there's definitely a, a qualitative way. So one of the one of the things that comes out of the culture assessment um, it, the, the, that I do, um, we have the, the the four high level areas of, of control, compete, create, collaborate. But we're based on where you come out, it gives a strong indication of what your tolerance to change will be. Right? Okay. Are you are you an incremental change kind of an organization because you're down in that control space or are you a transformational change or are you a long-term change or are you just like, so um, you can get a feel for an organization and I'll be honest, most of my clients are in those, those bottom two quadrants um, of control and compete. And, and what they actually want is a toe in the water yeah. right? because they are quite conservative. So, uh, and, and much of the resistance comes from trying to impose a change approach on an organization that isn't aligned with what it values. And so if you try and, Equally, if you try to go into a, a create-type organization with a transformational change approach and you said, well, let's make these small changes, they'd look at you like, well, why are you being so conservative? So yes is the short answer. There is a, there is a kind of a, a, a way of 
at least getting a heuristic of, of how quickly you should approach this change. Um, but the, um, the key driver is, you know, how, how quickly can you build the capability around the new way of working? But there's no point in trying to transform a thousand people if you've only got the capability to build capability and make only a small number self-sustaining because everyone else is just going to be reliant on an army of consultants for the next five years, which is great if you're a consultancy, right? but it's not great if you're the client. And so you've yeah. got to be mindful of that too. At this point, what we've got is a, a shared understanding around the, the high level changes to be made in each of those six enablers. What I then move into is helping to identify the key risks like what could go wrong here, right? Who are the key stakeholders? Who do we need to bring on board? And hopefully you, those stakeholders are largely involved in this, but who else? Uh, a finance director, HR director, right? What are, the, what are the key obstacles we have right now as opposed to the risks that could occur? And that's the, really the bottom, that's the bottom and final row. It is um, just some other stuff that you need to consider uh, to really, um, and make sure that you, you're, you're setting yourself up for success. Okay, so we've got, the what and the why, we've got the how, and then we've just got the other things that we need to consider as well around the risks and the stakeholders um, and creating that alignment. Um, and the final thing to say is there's something amazing about having it visual. You know, I, I borrowed the concept of the V2MOM um, and, and Cotter's sort of eight steps, but, but I also borrowed heavily from Alex, Alex Osterwalder and his business model canvas, just the power of getting all of that stuff on a page. There's something about just standing around a wall on a big canvas and sticking post-its and moving them around to communicate and, and visualize the change is extremely powerful. And, and that's why I took the final step to turning it into a canvas rather than a series of checklists, which is what my instinct is as a checklist nerd. Right? So I, I, and, that, and that's why I've, I've created it in this way. Okay, so that, that's kind of hopefully giving you a feel for, for what the canvas is. Yeah, thank you. And, and so the risk concept or topic brought another question to mind, which is when I, when I did traditional projects, I learned to do a risk register and I still do that on scrum projects. And it's something I update weekly really more because it, it shows people that we have transparency. It shows them that there's a plan. It shows that we're keeping these things up to date. How often would, would an organization be updating this canvas once they create it? Yeah, good point. I would like to see these conversations happening um, frequently, uh, maybe maybe monthly, uh, because whilst like, this is high level stuff, so you're going to take each of these boxes probably and break that down into a into a more concrete plan as to how you implement these changes, right? But you want to come back to it and say, actually, we did this stuff. Get rid of that. We got some new stuff, and with risks, like, you probably want to be managing the risks more than monthly. Right? So those key risks will just be things to consider when you're in the room, but stuff will pop up and maybe you do have a risk register, right? but you, you should keep coming back to this because A, it reminds people of the vision and where you're going and B, like we're not going to get this right first time. We, we are going to have to go round and round and iterate and experiment and it, it's never going to stop. And so it's going to evolve and, and I'd say come back to it, re revisit it, uh, maybe monthly, but maybe have uh, a the senior leaders coming if they can't make monthly as, as often as they can, but it's, it's such an important tool to get everyone aligned. And if things evolve um, and we don't communicate that well, then uh, that's when you start getting people going off in different directions. So yeah. it is a living, breathing document, not a let's make a plan and then um, roll it up and stick it in a, a box and never see it again. Cool. All right. And you'd want this highly visible for everybody to see as well. Oh, yeah. I, okay. I, I would, because I, people walk past, there's something about a canvas with stickies on it, right? People walk past and they look at it. Like they don't pick up a document and they don't go on SharePoint and download stuff. 
But if you've got a big wall and everyone's huddled around it, they're like, oh, what's going on there? And they kind of want to be a bit nosy. Right? So it is a, the term we use in the agile world is an information radiator, right? So it uh, pushes the information out there and uh, I find them very effective at doing that. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, when I asked that question in the beginning about what, when they talk about values and stuff, if they were aspirational, if management was to create one of these and hang it somewhere, all the employees were going to have access to it, they might be able to anonymously provide commentary on whether the values were actually being practiced in the organization. Oh, for sure. And then uh, if you're not rewarding being in alignment with the, the values, then, then something's wrong there so uh, yeah all, all of that stuff. it's so interconnected i mean there's six box those enablers but to try and change one without changing all the others makes no sense they're not really six separate things they're so interconnected all right so uh, yeah it's, it's just all going to impact everything else but yeah values piece is absolutely key to weave cool. into it thank you um so if people want to find out more about it or download a copy of it and the guidebook what where can they go do that they can do that on agilecenter.com. Um, we've got the business agility canvas page there. Um, like I said, uh, just it's free of charge. Um, we're going to send you an email with the link to the canvas itself and to the 20 page guidebook as well. I kind of put it out there because I, I see so many organizations not being an aligned. So I, I'd love to see it out there and people using it. Uh, but that would make me happy. Cool. All right. And what if they want to get in touch with you? Well, they're welcome to do that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kareem.harbert at agilecenter.com or you can, uh, you can find me on social media where I spend too much of my time. Uh, I'm, uh, uh, so I have a unique name. That's uh, K-A-R-I-M, Kareem, H-A-R-B-O-T-T, Harbert. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn. So uh, reach out and say hi and I'd love to see pictures of you using it or just reach out if you have any questions as well. I would be happy to uh, you know, ping, you, ping you a mail back and uh, walk you through some of these things. All right. And so this canvas is part of a larger effort that you're working on. Could you talk about that really briefly? So there are three things that really go together. And, and it's, um, it's my, uh, it all started with um, my, my certified agile leadership class where I really crystallized this model based on, on some of my experiences from, from transformations. Um, and out of that class, uh, I was approached to write the book um, about uh, the six enablers of business agility, which is going to be the title, uh, the subtitle, how to Thrive in an Uncertain World. And it is about business agility. So it's not a software or a scrum or a scaled agile book. It's focused at the business community um, and why business agility is so important and, and what you need to do to achieve it. And, and we've just been talking about that, right? Those are, the, those are gonna be largely the six areas that I cover in the book. Um, and the, the canvas kind of evolved from the class and the book and my practice. And they're, they're all so, so closely interlinked. So I, I, I hope that the book is going to be out in Q4. I'm finishing up the last chapter or two at the moment. I have a bit more time on my hands to do that, so we should be good on that. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to that being out there, and, and, uh, and I hope that, that it, uh, it resonates with people in, in the community. Cool. Well, I hope that when it's out, we can do another interview. Um, Love thank that. you very much, man. Well, thanks, Dave.